Morning, everyone. I think the world that we live in is full of fake things. Fake things that we often buy in order to try to impress other people and score points aesthetically. Uh, you can almost uh, think of the plastic decking that looks like wood, but it ain't wood, but it's cheaper. You can think of uh, sometimes you can have these adhesive things that look like ceramic tiles, but it's just a little bit of a sticker. Uh, fake Rolexes. Anybody who's ever been to Turkey, you know, you go to the markets. Other, other countries are available. I'm not dissing Turkey. You know, you go to the markets and you get this wonderful-looking fake Rolex. Or if you're a football fan, that's where you get your football T-shirts, you know, for uh, normal prices rather than 100 whatever they cost nowadays. Uh, ladies, don't want to leave you out. Fake nails, hair extensions. I don't know what I'm talking about. You know, we can laugh at some of these, but actually some of the fake stuff we invest in is laughable. It's lighthearted, but sadly, when you're thinking of aesthetic surgeries and just the way people are unhappy with their bodies, uh, body dysmorphia, sometimes there can be really tragic situations where people think that somehow fake is better. One of the funniest things that I've, I've, I've seen, it was actually a couple of years ago, uh, you could buy this product. I mean, there's the, the several in the market. You know, uh, this is called, called Mud On, but several varieties of fake mud that apparently was very popular with the Chelsea crowd, not the footballers, the area in London, the wealthy, leafy area in London where people were driving 4 by 4s and the question was being asked, why are you driving a 4 by 4 in the city just to go and pick up your kids from school? And they thought, well, let's, let's just improve on this. So you just, uh, somebody came up with the idea, and obviously it's sold, you know, and you just uh, spray some fake mud on it, and you look like you've been down the farm track. <laughs> so there you go, and that, that will set you back about 11 quid, right? So fake things. And, you know, we laugh about this. Some of them are really tragic. But the reality is, spiritually, it's incredibly dangerous to buy into fake spirituality, And we already looked at what Jesus is teaching about prayer in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. We looked at the kind of things that Jesus is encouraging us to pray into. We looked at the motivation why we should be praying. And now I want us to look at maybe how we should pray. Because it is really important. And Jesus really touches on this. And this is what Jesus has to say. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans. For they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. 
some pretty strong words that Jesus is using as he's encouraging the disciples to learn about prayer. In the same passage, he talks about giving, he talks about fasting, two of the other practices that would have been very common for any Jewish person in terms of their personal devotion to God. And now he's tackling the issue of prayer, and actually we've gone kind of backwards. Uh, We're kind of finishing with a start of what Jesus is teaching, but he's teaching them how to pray. What should be your attitude when you pray? And the first thing that really strikes me in this is that when Jesus is saying, I want to teach you about prayer, he starts with these words, and when you pray. It is not if you pray, it is when you pray. There is an assumption that Jesus makes that actually people who are interested in spiritual growth, people who want to grow closer to God, will be people who will be praying We live in a world, and sadly even within the church, where people think, you know, prayer is something for other people who can do it, and often do it better than I do it. Prayer is something for the spiritual elites. Maybe when I'm a little bit more advanced in my Christian walk with God, then I'll pray. Prayer is for people who don't get bored. Prayer is for people who find it really easy to pray. That's not what Jesus is saying. In fact, what Jesus would say to us, if we were to ask the question, how should I pray? He would say, pray like you breathe. Let me ask you. Is breathing a little bit of an elite exercise for a human being? I think that's a simple question, right? Yes or no? We cannot live without breathing. We need to breathe in order to be alive and for our body to function and every little part of the body to function well. Same is true spiritually. We cannot function spiritually without praying. That's why Jesus is saying, when you pray, not if you pray. Prayer is like the breath of the soul. And it is so important to realize that this is not special, this is not elite, this is not some time in the future. This is a must in order for us to be actually spiritually alive. And Jesus is starting his teaching on how we should pray by actually saying it's when you pray. It's not an optional extra. Unfortunately, as somebody once said, even we as born-again, spirit-filled, you know, mature believers, when it comes to our prayer life, often we're functional atheists. We treat prayer as a sort of uh, an emergency line, a 999 or a 111. We turn to prayer where we're in deep need, in real trouble. And yet God wants that to be part of our spiritual breathing day in and day out. That's why Jesus is saying, when you pray, this is how you should pray. It's a mistake to treat prayer as something that we use only when we need it. Very often it tends to be a little bit of a spiritual vending machine. When we're in trouble... We think I might as well pray. 
And very often, do you know what's the saddest thing? Is that we looked at every single other option. And when we can't find any help, we might as well bother God with it. Instead of being the first port of call. And Jesus is reminding us of the priority of prayer. Pray like you breathe. And you would know from, from, from your own lives, in, in whatever sphere of life, whether, whether you, you know, it's in the sphere of work or whether it's in the sphere of family life, communication is so important to us. And so very often I think most of the troubles in our lives have to do with some, some deficiencies in terms of how we communicate with one another as human beings. Whether that's in relationships within the family or whether that's relationships at work, communication is key. And the same is true spiritually. Communication with God is key. A healthy relationship with God will have an open line of communication where prayer is like breathing. It's constant. It's regular. It happens all the time where we communicate with God in this. So my encouragement for us is to maybe rediscover this morning, a re, have a reset in our minds where we're not thinking of prayer as something that other people do within the church and other people who allegedly are better than me. I, I mean, I, I never get this. Who, who decides that? You know, do you know what God is thinking? Do you think God has categories? Do you, do you think God has rankings in the church? You know, is it like a... a, a, a a fantasy spirituality league, you know, where this week you scored loads of points, you did really well, and next week you're just going down the table. You think God has that? Who makes you think that somehow you're not as good as other people, spiritually speaking? You don't know. I don't know. God alone knows and sees. And I don't think he's got tables myself. But the encouragement for, for me and for us all is to actually reprioritize prayer. And actually, as much as we feel intimidated, because that's a trouble, you, you know, the difficulty with prayer, if, if our prayer life is not great, and I haven't done any research in, in, in the evangelical church's prayer lives. I know research has been done in the life of the pastors in America, and, uh, and it's, it's shocking. When it comes to prayer, it's shocking. So as an amateur analyst, I would dare to say that if the sort of um, people who are in leadership and leading churches and their prayer life's poor, I, I dare to guess, without wanting to offend anybody, that the life of prayer for most of us is challenging. And the difficulty is, from time to time, we hear somebody like me come and open God's word and we read what Jesus says, and Jesus says, when you pray, and you're thinking, oh, no. It's like my mom looking at my belly, and she says, you look fat. You need to stop eating as much. And I'm thinking, you're the one that's cooking. <laughs> you know, and then I get my friends, and they go, you need to go jogging. And I'm like, oh, my word, I can barely go up the stairs with my knees, never mind jogging. And spiritually speaking, it can be like that. The, the, we open God's word, and we hear about praying, and you're thinking, Christy, I can just about muster about four, four minutes a day, like, you know, every other day, or, you know, and it's difficult. And you're telling me I need to pray. You tell me Jesus expects us to pray. And we get so intimidated and we do nothing. I'm pleading with you do something. Just do something. 
Whatever it is right for you to start, just do something. Don't get intimidated about how much you're not praying or how much you've not been praying. But ask the Spirit of God to say, God, just give me a love to come and speak to you. It doesn't feel like it's a chore. It doesn't feel like it's religious ritual. It doesn't feel like I'm trying to score some more points so that I can climb in that imaginary spirituality fantasy league. I, I don't want to just do it so that when Christy or Ian preach again next time, I won't feel as guilty. No, no, that's the wrong motivation. Ask the Spirit of God to make you fall in love with him more and more so that speaking to him becomes desirable. That you get drawn in and you suddenly think, why haven't I done this before? Jesus says when you pray, this is how you should pray. Pray like you breathe. The second thing that I think Jesus is trying to say, and it's a little bit simpler in some ways, Jesus is encouraging us to pray not in a way that other people see us. He says, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Pray for the audience of one. See, what was probably happening is what it says in the text. It was probably, and, and by the way, this is not to say that we don't pray publicly. What Jesus is challenging was the attitude of prayer. And we know that with everything in church, and not just in church, but with everything within the church community, it is so easy to get on this sort of bandwagon of trying to impress other people. And particularly it's challenging for those who serve in the church. Because before you know it, you begin to do it in order to be seen and liked. And Jesus is saying, no, don't treat prayer like that. Prayer isn't about other people and what other people think. You know, it's the classic thing where somebody prayed something in church and some very helpful brother uh, at the end of the service decided it was time for them to correct the person who prayed. And he went to the lady and he said, "Uh, Dear, he said, I don't think that the way you prayed there was quite right. And she said, Well... Never mind, I wasn't talking to you anyway. (laughs) Some truth in that. Some truth in that. Jesus is saying, pray for the audience of one. Your prayer should have a single focus, God himself. And that's why he gives that tip of going, you, you know, going into your room, closing the door behind you and speaking to the Father. So don't make a whole show about your prayer. Make sure that your prayer is with a God focus, not with a you focus or other people focus, but with a God focus in that sense. It's a really important thing to remember to have that, that, that focus on him entirely in everything that we do when we pray. The hypocrites made it about themselves. They were playing to the audience. In today's world, they were chasing likes and shares. And it's so subtle. You know, particularly the social media was a, was, is an interesting window into humble bragging. You know, what an amazing church service I've just been into. What an amazing meeting I've led. This is particularly Christian leaders. Oh, my word. You know, I'm just, you know, picture of the, 
you know, backpack. I'm just about to go and minister to the people of the Lord in Texas, you know. And in other words, it's like, look at me, you know. It's so easy to be done. And Jesus is saying spirituality, it's about your inner person. It's about what is unseen. I mean, we, we don't suffer as much from that. I grew up in a church. We prayed a lot. Every Romanian church service had three hours on a Sunday morning. From 9 till 10, it was a prayer meeting with a whole church. Literally, everybody arrives at 9. Whole church. And the whole church prays for an hour. Take that, CFM. And then from 10 till 11, it was the Bible study with the whole church, where it was a set passage that we would study every week, and somebody would kind of do a little bit of an introduction, and then people in the church would just share what they've learned that week. And then from 11 till 12, it was the whole service. And everybody was there 9 till 12. But the hour, 9 till 10, you know, people would pray, and churches would vary. I've been in church for 200, 250 to 800, and loads of people would take time to pray, and they would pray. And some of it was good. Not all of it was good. Some people took the chance to get on stage. Not literally. And they would come and they would quote loads of scripture. You know, and they would go on forever. I was a teenager at the time and I was like, oh my word. I'm bored stiff. Nobody listened anymore. Because all they wanted to do is to impress the audience with how much scripture they knew. And they weren't talking to the father. They were talking to the audience. Or even worse, this is the more common one, practically speaking. And this is happening not just in Romania when I was growing up. This is happening in in our sort of prayer environments. Do you know there are vertical prayers? Actually, there should be only vertical prayers. And there are horizontal prayers. And you might have been in a situation or you might have been with somebody that you prayed. And say, for example, it's not true, but just I'll use Ian because it's safe. Anybody else would probably freak out. But, you know, let's say Ian and I had a really big disagreement and fallout in a week. You know, and, and then I get together to pray with Ian. And I say, Lord, you know how my heart is so grieved. You know how somebody's just broken my heart this week. They have hurt me so deep. I'm going to need to go into counseling for the next three years. It's terrible, and they don't acknowledge it. And they sometimes sit quietly, and they've not even apologized. Lord, bring conviction upon them. Speak to them. And what's worse is sometimes you're doing a prayer meeting, it's like everybody knows what you're talking about. And you're doing that horizontal prayer. instead of What is that? You know, God, we pray for the pastors of this church, you know, and whatever else follows. It's like, man, everybody knows what you're doing. You're doing this instead of doing that. Sometimes you're talking about our own needs. Yes, it's important to have that sense of vulnerability. But if every single time when I pray publicly with the people of God, whether it's in the connect group or whether it's at a prayer meeting or whether it's in other prayer meetings that we do, every single time it's about drama going on in my life. What, what's going on? It needs to be vertical for the audience of one. It's so important to have that. And Jesus is challenging us. He's saying, look, develop a prayer life that is God-centered. And actually, everything revolves around him rather than yourself or other people. Have a heart that is fully devoted to God. And he is the one that you speak to. He is the one 
that you want to honor. He is the one you make it all about. And Jesus is encouraging us to do that. And he's saying, look, if you want to pray in such a way as to impress other people, there's a trade-off. <laughs> and I love Jesus' honesty. He's saying, you're going to get, you know, people are going to talk about it. You know, they're going to say, oh, Christ is so spiritual. When he prays, oh, he quotes scripture. This, you know, when I pray, I go, dad, help, amen. When Christy prays, he's like, almighty God, maker of heaven and earth, thou who camest from above, Jesus, the savior of all, and goes on for another 15 minutes. And people look at us and say, oh, I could never pray like that. And Jesus says, they will receive their reward in full here. People will say, well done, amazing. But when you come before me, I go. And sometimes, I love listening to kids pray. Because there's no filters. It's probably early age. Once they start getting smartened up, they, they start playing their own games as well. Ugh. Or people who become Christians. I love that as well. And they haven't got their language filtered. You know, and they'll, they'll come to the prayer meeting and they'll drop an S word or something like that. And everybody's like, what? What did just happen? I had an S week. <gasps> but there is that sense in which it's so important to pray for the audience of one with God in mind. Instead of thinking about other people or trying to impress and transforming it into some sort of a religious exercise that has us at the very center. And that's the problem. Prayer can never have us at the very center. The most anointed prayer is always the one that has him at the very center. And that's what Jesus is saying. That's the trade-off. Where do you want your reward? Do you want the Father to go like this? Or do you want people to go like this? Because you can't have it both. You can't have it both. So let's work and develop that inner prayer life. Everybody's going to get freaked out now. Nobody's going to come to the prayer meeting. Nobody's ever going to pray out loud now because everybody's like, oh, my word, Chris is going to start analyzing according to the teaching of Jesus. That's not what I mean. You, you'll, you'll, get, you'll get the gist of what Jesus is trying to say. Develop an inner life that isn't about you or other people, but it's about him. And then Jesus is talking, and he's saying, when you pray... Don't pray like pagans do. Do not keep on babbling, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Jesus is contrasting the prayer life that he wants to see in his followers to that of people from other religions who were always thinking that more is better. In order to impress the gods, what you have to do is just like loads of volumes, a lot of prayers. And then when you need a lot of volume, you probably start babbling. Some of you probably would have still been in school when you would have oral examinations, you know, on a subject. And, and you go and, uh, you know, you may be well prepared or not so well prepared. I, I remember those. I mean, they were really traumatic. I'm an introvert. So for me to be at the front of the class, you know, and oh, my word. So 
you, you know, and, and, and you know some stuff. The subject comes and you know some stuff. And, and after that, this is how I developed in becoming a preacher. And after, you know, your five minutes, and you're supposed to go on for about 20 minutes, after five minutes, you have absolutely finished everything you knew about the subject. And after that, what do you do? I mean, you can do it in writing and exams, and some of you have done it. You just babble. You just fill in with loads of stuff, thinking, I just, just want to be impressed because I keep on talking. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have anything to do with the subject that I was being asked. You know, and people think the same about prayer. They think, you know, if I just, you know, if I'm putting the clock and I've heard that, you know, mighty man of God, mighty woman of God is praying 17 hours a day, you know, and I'm, I'm competing now because I want to become a mighty woman or a mighty man of God, and I'm putting the clock and, you know, I've been praying and it's like, four minutes? How do I get to 17 hours? I'll just talk more, talk more, talk more. Jesus is saying, don't do that. Don't, that's what the pagans do who would think that volume and repetition, or sometimes, you know, particularly in our context, it's if you, if you kind of shout or get enthusiastic, it kind of score more points in that. There are times when you're in a prayer meeting and you kind of go, do you know what? God's not deaf. He can hear really well. You do not need to shout your head off because he's not more impressive. And again, the opposite is true. Sometimes an unbelievably, not quiet in terms of volume, but just quiet, humble, tentative prayer. Oh, my word, some anointing on that prayer. Because it comes with sincerity, and it comes with a sense of trusting God that is so deep. One of the greatest men of God that I've come across when it comes to prayer was one of my tutors. His name was Bob Dunnett. Maybe some of you would, would know Bob. He's, uh, he's still going. Last I heard, he's down in Cornwall. And uh, he, he was particularly lecturing on issues to do with spirituality, with prayer, with fasting. Uh, he, he did Gospel of John. He did miracles, healings, all sorts of things. He was an, uh, an ordained Anglican minister. And uh, he, uh, he, I mean, he was, the, he was Anglican on steroids. You know, he was slow speaking. You would ask him a deep question. And he would just do this thing where he'd just stand on his legs like that. And he'd scratch the top of his head and leave you waiting for about seven or eight minutes. <laughs> now then, you know, and he speak really slowly. But I've seen that man pray for exorcisms. I've seen that man minister to people in deep need. I've seen that man pray for people's healing. And there was no show, no dance, no screaming. He didn't leave his personality aside and suddenly become somebody else. He was still Bob Dunnett, the Anglican. A fairly reserved guy. But with a deep anointing of God. Where the volume or the style, the rapping didn't matter. Because he knew what Jesus had said. The Father already knows. You don't need to impress him. You don't need to speak a long time. You don't need to shout. You don't need to repeat. He, he knows it. But he wants to hear you say it. Be confident. He knows it. So don't be like the pagans. There's no magic formulas. It does my head in when actually we're putting barriers in the way of people. You, you, you go to certain meetings, and I've been to certain meetings, and they go... 
you, you know, you go forward for prayer and they go, now you have to put your hands out and you have to close your eyes and you have to do that and you have to do that. And I'm like, please, oh, please. In order to receive healing, you need to be in that posture or in the other posture or do this or stand on your head or do that kind of stuff. And I suddenly think it's just gimmicks and formulas. And this is coming from people who often criticize other people for being too formulaic. But they've got their own. Listen, all of us have got formulas. There's nobody without formulas and there's nobody that doesn't have a tradition. None of us are tradition free. Maybe do you know what? Sometimes even the thing that you're saying, I haven't got a tradition, that's the tradition. That's your tradition. Because you're just a game breaker all the time. That's your tradition. You're traditional in that sense. Let's not be those kind of people that think that God has this magic formula that it has to work like that. And when it comes to prayer, the, the, the game that we pray sometimes is that because God answers prayer in a specific situation done in a certain way, do you know what? We, those of you who know the Old Testament, we raise up the serpent, think of Moses' story, and we just make it that the benchmark. Well, this is how God healed me last time. This is how it happened. These were the words that were being said. This is how he's going to do it. Look at Jesus' healing ministry. He doesn't do it the same way. I'm still baffled that the spitting on the ground in mud hasn't caught on. But that's another story for another day. So Jesus is saying, pray without formulas. Don't babble. Don't say a lot of words. And, and, and don't pray for a long time because you think that will impress God. Because God already knows what you need. I am saying, I plead with you. Don't impersonate somebody else when you pray. Don't try to channel somebody else's voice or copy somebody else or think that if they do it like that and it seems to be blessed, that you have to do it like that. Remember Bob Dunnett. You don't have to leave your personality away in order to be anointed by God. And this is what Jesus is speaking about. Resist that sense of copying or impersonating somebody else. This is a relationship between a parent and a child. The father already knows what you need. You know, I, I, and I know there are times when we're trying to impersonate our parents, but most of the time we're not trying to, you, you know, please our parents. Uh, we, we just trust them. We just come to them. We don't, we don't try to pretend and be fake. And Jesus is saying, come. Come to the father. Max Lucado captures it really well. He says this, Our prayers may be awkward. Our attempts may be feeble. But since the power of prayer is in the one, that's God, who hears, and not in the one who says, our prayers do make a difference. That's the focus. It's not really about me. It's about him. How do we find some, some, some help in terms of practically going forward with this? This is the most important thing. Just get praying. I plead with you. Pray as you can, not as you can't. Just get praying. Just come to him and ask the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, I want to grow in prayer. I, I, want, I want to battle this. I, I, I want to battle the prayerlessness in my life because I know that will leave me starved. That will leave me away from God. That will leave me weak. And I want to come to you and ask that you would help me. Don't be intimidated. I plead with you. 
Do not go away from here this morning getting intimidated about prayer once again and thinking, yeah, the word was good, the preacher was saying this, and I think I need to do it, but I don't know where to start, and I'm like Christy, you know, who won't go jogging, and you get the idea. Just come before God. Don't be discouraged, and don't postpone. Don't say, I'll do it next week. Just come to him and say, help me to be drawn nearer to you. Pray as you can. Just start as little as possible. Just do something. Get praying. One of the, 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 the best advice that I, can, I could give to you is probably a good way to develop a good prayer language, but not just a good prayer language, but also to develop your theology of God. Pray the Psalms. Probably want to miss out the imprecatory ones. That's, uh, that's the ones where David is praying and saying, you know, smash their teeth about his enemies. You might want to leave those out. But there are plenty of psalms that have such good language that can help us. And you can pray that as you develop your prayer language. Uh, uh, you can probably just Google something and find some really good resources of psalms that you can pray out loud. But just pray. Get praying. The other thing is... I, I think our prayer life is primarily interior. And I know Jesus is talking here about people standing at the street corners and the synagogues. But the challenge that he puts in is your prayer room, where you close your door. Now, I realize not everybody has a prayer room. Uh, Some people may have a prayer closet, uh, or some people may may have a prayer path, or or, or a place that they walk to. Uh, Some people may have a prayer coffee shop that you go into and, and, and you pray. Uh, and that. the important thing is just to nurture that inner spiritual life, you and God. And actually, when Jesus is talking about the room and closing the door, what he's actually saying is, get yourself in a place that you're not getting distracted. Get yourself in a place of habit. Get your place where you can meet with God. And you will know that where that's for you. Invest in that time, that space, and that focus that actually enables you to quietly, undistracted, spend time with God. And probably the most important thing is this. We need to cultivate trust. It's what Max Lucado was saying. Cultivate trust in God. The greatest deterrent to coming to God is some sort of variation of not trusting God. Some insecurity within us that keeps us away from him. So I'm saying with everything in my being, nurture that trust in God. Fuel that sense of, I want to be with him. And the best way is through spending time in scripture. Because scripture reveals you the goodness and the greatness and the graciousness and the kindness of God. And that will make your heart fall in love with him. And it will shape your mind. So when the lies come in and say, God doesn't want to spend time with me. God doesn't want to hear from me. I'm not good enough. Instead, the truth of Scripture will say, lie, lie, lie. God longs to see you. God longs to talk to you. God longs to have you in his presence. Whatever it is that nurtures you, listening to some good Christian songs with good content, truthful content, biblical content, they will just lift your heart and say, I can go into God's presence because I know my God. I know what he's like. And he wants me. And he wants to be with me. 
cultivate that trust in who God is and make your prayers God-centered. This is the, the craziest thing in the world. The more God-centered our prayers will become, the easier our prayer life will be. The more me-centered my prayer life is, the more dull it is. There's a good reason for that. And the more we cultivate that God-centeredness, we can go through these doors out, and there are a myriad of things that we can be so incredibly thankful to God for. We look back at the story of our life, and we see the fingerprints of God. And that just blows our minds. Time and time and time again. Cultivate that inner trust in who God is. Let's stay away from manipulative prayer. I plead with you. Prayer is not about manipulating God. It isn't about getting the right coins to put in the prayer vending machine. It isn't about what we want. If we do that, we miss out on what prayer is really about. And particularly just a tiny, 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 tiny word for the parents. You are doing something incredibly significant in your kids' lives, and you're doing it without knowing every day. Your relationship with God advertises, particularly the stuff that's not thoughtful, as in programmatic, you know, the way you pray is probably the best theology book your kids will ever read. The way you pray is probably the first theology book that your kids will ever read. If you're at dinner time or at night time or whatever time you spend time praying with your kids, you pray cold, boring, thoughtless, formulaic prayers. That's what you're giving them. That's the God you're introducing to them. And also, if you're only praying at those times, guess what? That's when they learn to pray. But if you're suddenly in the car, and you're putting a worship song, and your heart just bursting out in praise, and you vocalize it, because that's what you do. You don't just pray at mealtimes and in the evenings, at bedtimes before you put them to get. You can pray while you're driving. And you just pray. And they suddenly hear you. And then Auntie Nora comes around. And they're kind of playing around. And Auntie Nora looks upset and she's crying. And mom just puts her hand on Auntie Nora's shoulder and begins to pray audibly. The kid sees that. Ah, so we don't just pray at mealtime, those thoughtless prayers, or at nighttime, those kind of repetitive, same time, similar prayers. Oh, we can pray in the car. We can pray when Auntie Nora's coming around. That's what prayer is about. You get the idea. I'm sowing the seed and I'm pleading with you. Just be normal in how you pray and let the kids see that because actually, inadvertently, that's the theology you're introducing into their hearts and minds. This is the God that you have. Let's pray together as Beth is coming.
Father, we confess that our lives often feel empty and many times lonely, spiritually speaking, because we have ignored your beckoning invitation to come and speak to you. Father, we, we live in a world where we, we have so much. We don't have to speak to you about having some food on the table and some water in the glass. We don't have to ask you for so many things because we are so self-sufficient. And our self-sufficiency, Lord, just makes us distant from you. And then there's the sin in our life. And then there's our lack of confidence, our insecurity, our feeling inferior. And they just all work together to keep us away from you. And we miss on so much. Lord, it's so much on my heart in this season for us as a church. That we discover what it means to pray. What it means to get our strength from you. What it means to constantly be comfortable to call you Father. To run to you as often as we possibly can. With hearts that are so full of joy. Like a child that sees mom and dad return home after a little bit of an absence. And they're just so excited. Spirit of God, grab hold of our hearts. Help us to learn. We don't even know how to do it, but we know we want to. Just guide us step by step to grow closer to you. To have our minds and heart filled with the goodness of God the graciousness and kindness of the one we can call Father. Amen. Let's stand together.